0: The Mac Observers, Mac Geek Cab, episode 831 for Monday, August 31st, 2020. <phone rings> Welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show where we take your questions, tips, and cool stuff found that you have sent in and we mix them all together. We share your tips, we share your cool stuff found, we share our tips, we share our cool stuff found, we share your questions, we try to answer them or present them to the community for answers. Really, the goal is for all of us in the Mac Geek Gab family that's you, that's me, that's him, everybody to learn at least five new things every single time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include mintmobile.com slash MGG, plushcare.com slash MGG, and maxsales.com. We've got more details about each of those to speak about in a bit. For now, here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton.
1: And here in Fairfield, Connecticut, this
0: is John F. Braun. How are you today, Mr. John F. Braun? Yeah. We have a lot of stuff about uh, networks. And, and Wi-Fi, but networks in general and also Wi-Fi that we've been sort of uh, queuing up. We have a lot of stuff about network storage that we've been queuing up. And then we have a lot of stuff. So I figure we'll start with a couple of uh, kind of straight up questions and then uh, to get us rolling here. And then we'll dig into some of the, the network stuff and the geeky stuff and, uh, and see what happens. But uh, that sound good to you, John? Indeed. All right, cool. The First question comes from listener Bruce, who says, I want to put an out-of-office auto response to all incoming emails for a set period of time on all four of my email addresses. Can you assist in leading me to a user-friendly way to do this suitable for a senior citizen to manage? <laughs> Absolutely, Bruce, sure. So it, there are many ways to do this. Um, my preferred way, I was going to say despite the fact that I'm a geek, but perhaps because of the fact that I'm a geek, Uh, is to do this with an email provider who will let me do it in their web interface because that way it's happening at the server level. I don't have to worry about anything on my computer. And quite frankly, it's someone else's problem to manage and make sure it works right. All I get to do is flip the switch and put the message in. Um, The good news is both iCloud and Gmail make this super easy in their interfaces um, and many others do as well. It's a pretty common feature of mail servers because our computers aren't necessarily going to be on and connected all the time in order. And you want that autoresponder to be sent out, you know, as quickly as possible to someone who just emailed you. Cause if they emailed you something urgent, you want them to at least have a chance at knowing, Hey, didn't th- this message probably didn't make it, you know, or isn't going to make it for a while. So that's the first place I'd look. And, and quite frankly, I, I'll, I have some other ideas and I'm happy to share them, but I really encourage you to go that route that is in my opinion absolutely the best route but you could use apple mail on your mac for it um the the other tech support dave uh, at ask dave taylor uh uh, has a nice article up about how to use mail rules to implement something like this and and it's again fairly straightforward if you're comfortable with mail rules you probably don't even need to read that site but it's always helpful to see how somebody else can can do it so um, so those are my two thoughts. Um, uh, what do you, what do you think, John?
1: Um, I'm with you, the web interface. Um, I haven't not my ISP, uh, yeah. optimum. Yeah. If I use their web interface among the other things they let you do, like, uh, I think you can set a forward if you want to. Um, but they also, yeah, let you set a, uh, I'm out of the office message. Okay. So, so that is absolutely the first place. Yeah, I would
0: look to. for sure. You don't use your, uh, your ISPs mail anymore though, right? As your primary mail. I mean, I know we all have email accounts with our ISPs, but we don't like to use them, right? Um, I, I've, I've tried to move
1: everything I can away from that, uh, over to my dot Mac. There you go. Um, okay. Account. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I still got one or two things that are keyed on my uh, email address, um, like as my
0: username. Oh, sure, yeah, yeah. I can't change it. Huh. <laughs> I bet you could change your email address even if your username is still an email um, address from somewhere else. When I do things, so it's the system that, um,
1: uh, Quest Diagnostics with when, I, okay. when I get blood work. Yeah, um, the the thing is my. Um, key or my username is my isp's email okay but when they send things out they're like oh where do you where do you want to send the uh you know the invite sure uh for your, for your appointment and i give them my dot mac address i got you there gotcha but they also yeah and, and there is
0: no option to change your email address to, which to me is lame that's interesting <laughs> huh i bet there is i bet if you contact certainly if you contacted customer service they could do it so eh, yeah. probably yeah yeah Uh, And of course, as a yet another bonus tip and even just question number one, Quest is one of the several, I'll say, maybe even many labs that uh, has uh, the ability to link directly to the health app on your iPhone. So you can uh, because the MyQuest app is old, right? Like it hasn't been updated since in many years And the way the way I know that is the interface on my phone is not built around the notch in the top of my phone, and Mm -hmm. in order to release an update for your app, over the past what year, maybe two years, uh, the uh, Apple requires that you build screens for the iPhones. Well, at the time, ten, and then you know, et cetera, up to the eleven. and theirs does not so i don't think their app's been updated in years or if it has it's been very minimal updates but you can link my quest uh your my quest account to the health app and then you can get all your data there and of course it aggregates it all together with if you have to use something like labcorp or somebody else they all can link in there which is pretty cool i i okay. I've, yeah it the, the health app is a is is actually a pretty cool thing um I've been tested. I don't know if I I have them linked. Um, You do it in the health app. You go into the health app. um, Well, well, we might as well just walk through it. So you launch the health app. And you go to, I think, you got to give me a second here. Uh, Yeah, go to tap on your picture in the upper right, which brings up your account. And then under accounts, you go to health records. And in health records, you can choose add account, and Quest is one of the ones there, and in perhaps other health providers of yours. Not, of course, not every health provider is is participating um, with an API to Apple, but but this one certainly is. So, so there you go. It's a fun way to do it. All right. Yeah.
1: I'll, uh, yeah, I'll fiddle with it later.
0: Yeah, good, because you're going to take us to Scott now, right? Indeed.
1: And. Let- Let me get Scott up here. All right. Scott asks or says, I think I need to run some hardware diagnostics on my Mac. It has been years since I have needed to do this. In normal times, I would just take my Mac to the Apple store and have them run it. However, this is not an option right now. So what do you say is the best tool for this? What is the cheapest tool for this? I assume they will not be the same. (laughs) Um, okay well one thing you could try um though i've had mixed results here um but if you uh if you boot up your machine and you hold down the d for diagnostics it'll run apple's built-in diagnostics okay uh my experience with them has not been great and actually in the past uh and i even have a Dandy little article here. Uh, You may not be able to trust what it says. Uh, I had this actually happen once with an older version of the diagnostics. Um, Yeah, it came up and it said Apple hardware Test reported an HDD alert. And this article goes into a bit more detail. But um, yeah, apparently if you upgraded the drive in certain older Macs to an SSD, they would think there's a problem with the SATA bus. I, I have that article fascinating
0: so. fascinating
1: yeah uh um, past that the uh the one that I would check out Dave so that it the, it goes into a bit of detail here yep um but micromap makes something called mac check okay um so we give that a check and you know it'll show you the status of the power on self-test uh, does an io check a battery test if you have a battery memory Smart your raid status volume structure partition map, so uh a good first run uh with this maybe uh maybe worthwhile yeah, of course micromat uh but if you uh you know if that comes up with problems or you you wanna you want to bring out the big guns uh they of course also make tech tool pro, and I think I just got an email that they just updated it to i think version thirteen, yeah, that's right, so um
0: that has tests that go into more detail. So cool. Cool. That's great. That's what I got. Yeah. I, I, I I have nothing to argue with on that one. I have nothing and nothing to offer. Really. My only question really would be what symptoms, what are your symptoms that lead you to think that you need to run hardware diagnostics? You know what, what's actually happening because That might help narrow down. Oh, wait a minute. Okay. If you're seeing this, try that, you know, kind of thing. But, um, Mm -hmm. but yeah, yeah. All right, cool. Well, now we, uh, now we get to start digging into some of the network stuff that, uh, that sound good to you, my friend. Absolutely. Cool. Uh, Listener Greg says, I've been having problems with my ISP. Uh, Except to say, well, it's Spectrum. Uh, He says my Internet will die for 20 to 30 seconds and then it comes back to life. Spectrum's confirmed these network issues, seeing up to 40 percent packet loss on occasion. And my neighbors complain about it, too. However, they've sent technicians twice. They tried charging me for the visits and yet the problem persists. So I'm trying to figure out how to live with this issue. I've noticed my MacBook Pro has a harder time reconnecting than my iPhone or iPad. They're all in the same physical location connecting wirelessly to the same router. But I find that it takes about one minute longer for my MacBook Pro to reconnect than my other devices. Can you help me figure this out? So, first of all, that sucks. And hopefully you can keep the pressure up on, on Spectrum to to fix things in your neighborhood. Uh, you, I, my, I've been through this. It's been fortunately it's been over a decade since I've had to wage this a battle of, of this type, but really it's just a matter of um, two things, beating down the, the door of, of the ISP and just having them send people out because when you get the right technician out, that's, I have found that that is the key to opening up the doors. And sometimes it's just, you know, somebody that's more interested in solving problems than maybe some of the others are. Um, And, and then, you know, also calling the corporate office and asking to speak to whatever their customer service ninjas are try office of the president is often the, 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 the key to getting to those customer service ninjas, whatever they, they call themselves. So, um, that, that could be your thing now, as far as what you can do locally, you know, what would so I start asking myself, John, what would the difference be between his MacBook Pro and his iPad and iPhone? And the first might be DNS, right? So go to system preferences, network, Wi-Fi, DNS. You can change you can customize the DNS on your iOS devices too, but for whatever reason, we are all more likely to have customized DNS on our uh non-iOS devices. So that would be that would be kind of my first thought is just make sure whatever their network settings are, make sure they're the same as each other. So that would be step one. I don't know what do you what do you think, man?
1: Um, this came up in another question too, and we had a little little back and forth.
0: Um, check your levels. When, when, oh, I'm sure when his levels. I'm sure his levels are problematic. I mean, I'm sure that's true. The neighborhood. I, I'm just trying to help him solve the the why his MacBook takes so much longer to reconnect when things come back versus his iPad and iPhone. But I'm sure you're right. And go, right. Sorry, go down that path. Yeah, explain to people what to do, please. Um. Yeah, the thing is, uh, I think it
1: helped me. So for when I was having a problem with. Packet loss, how do I know I had a problem with packet loss? Uh, Dave's uh, tried and true trick is pinging some, from the terminal, pinging www.apple.com or, or whatever, something that you know exists and is reliable, and see if you get any drop pa- And And I was. So yeah. I'm like, okay, well, that's problem number one. Problem number two was that my upstream uh, voltage or power um, was way out of spec it was like 55 dbmv which sure. is awful <laughs> it should be like i think 48 or something is is the upper end on a docsis 3 modem and mine was way out so sure. you know i gave when the guy came by I'm like you know here here's here's the numbers and he's like yeah that's bad and you know he went up on the pole and he brought his you know super duper network analyzer and he's like yeah it, it it's a problem on our end so that's true. I know you if, know, when you get I don't the know right, if you got a tech that didn't know
0: what test to run. Cause yeah, no, that's really good advice. Cause if you tell the tech, like, here's what the numbers are and they're bad, like that will, uh, that should alert them. If, if it doesn't, then then also call the office of the president. <laughs> but yeah. 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 And then, um,
1: you know, and then my numbers went back down to, I think like 44, once they fixed whatever they fixed, I think they had to replace the either, either rerun a cable because you know, we got squirrels like everybody. Yeah, so sure. People. And uh, for whatever reason, squirrels love to chew on <laughs> cable. Yeah.
0: Well, it's probably got some why. warmth to it. Maybe. I mean, you know, negligible. Well, it could be but- a
1: thermal thing.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Especially hot weather or cold weather. Yeah. Maybe. Maybe. I, yeah. I'm, I'm just speculating. I don't know. Somebody. Yeah. I, 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 my upstream levels are not mine. Sit above 50, which is not great. In fact, maybe I should. The problem is I have zero issues. Of course, I say that while we're recording and live streaming a podcast, I should knock on some wood (laughs) because, you know, that's the last thing I need. But yeah, those are kind of high. I should, um, I should look into that. Hmm. That's not good. Anyway, uh, that's a squirrel for a different moment. Uh yeah. All right. Time so any thoughts about you're totally right, by the way. Yeah. Find those numbers and report them to the tech. Any thoughts about why his Mac takes longer to reconnect than his um, devices? You may
1: want to um I'd run Debuki to see what's happening at the Wi-Fi level. That may help as well. Yeah. I like it. Because Debuki, a lot of times when I'm diagnosing Wi-Fi issues on my MacBook Pro, Debuki will show me what's happening. And sometimes what's happening is not what I want to happen. Like, you know, I'm currently solving what I think is a Wi-Fi issue. Sure. Um, And at one point... um, you know the priority of what it wanted to connect to was wrong. Well, how do I know that? Because Dubuki was telling me, "Oh, you're you're connected to this access point, not that access point." So right. Oh, and right. it'll show you know the rate that's negotiated and and some other things. Yeah.
0: So, um, well, and it might show what pack. I mean, it also shows what packets are going across too. So you could see hmm. like what is it trying to connect to. You know, d- does your Mac maybe have something like ExpressVPN running on it? Or you know, or some other thing that's 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 in the network stack that takes time to come up uh, and run. I uh, so yeah 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 those things can I don't know I don't know anyway. Big NVA in our uh, chat room at live says John that maybe the coax cables are coated with walnut flavoring and that's why the squirrels like them so. <laughs> All right. Uh, Let's see. Andrew writes, he says, I recently upgraded my Internet speed to 400 megabits from 100. Hmm. According to Eero, my download speeds are 118 and upload 12. How should I test my Internet speeds to find out my true speed? He says, currently, I'm testing through my Eero, which is plugged into my cable modem. And the device I'm testing with is connected to one of the Eero satellites. Could this be the issue? So the the short answer is yes, it could, it might not be, but it might be the best way to test your internet connection speed is to connect to your, well, the bet, the absolute best way is to, to take your router out of the mix and connect a, you know, your laptop via ethernet to your cable modem. Anytime you connect a new device to your cable modem, you have to power cycle your cable modem because most of us in for a residential service only get one device connected to our cable modem at a time. Usually that's our router and then our router shares that, but it can be your computer, but the cable modem sort of locks to one device. So if you're going to do this sort of extreme, you know, isolated, extremely isolated speed test, you would connect directly to your cable modem. Most of the time though, your router isn't the thing slowing you down. Uh, It might be, but it probably isn't. So you don't have to go through the power cycling of your cable modem, Connect an Ethernet cable to your main router. So in this case, your main Eero, it's going to have two Ethernet ports on it. One is going to your cable modem. The other one is what you would plug into your Mac. It's smart enough to sort out which is which uh, and do a speed test that way. Turn off Wi-Fi on your Mac just to make sure that it's not, you know, unintentionally using Wi-Fi as the as the connection, because Wi-Fi can be slowed down for a variety of reasons, connecting via a mesh satellite could be one of them. It depends on how things are in your house, how far apart they all are, all that stuff. Um it could also just be Wi-Fi interference in your house with either other devices you have or devices your neighbors have. But that would be the 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 way to test is my router getting the speeds that my ISP says I should get. 12 up is correct for you, Andrew. So it's just down and and you should if they say that you get 400, you should get either close to or maybe even a little bit over 400. Um you, it's they're probably the, the package that you bought is probably 400 down 10 up. You can see they give you a little bit more than 10. Um they often will give you a little bit more than that 400. So do it with ethernet and um and you should be good to go. I don't know. What what any we have another question about uh sort of getting into the nuances of speed test next, but any thoughts for Andrew here before we get to that? Um,
1: yeah, I, I see this come up a lot in our, um, next door, our local next door system here. Mm -hmm. And I'm convinced. uh, The people that seem to have uh, report problems. Yeah. I think are the ones that are using, um, Optimum's, uh, combined, uh, you know, it, it does Wi-Fi and it also um, uh, is a router. Um, I'm convinced that what they offer these days, I, I, it's a brand that I've actually never even heard of. I mean, when I bought mine, it's an Ares, but now they're offering something else. Sure. People that have ditched that and bought their own cable modem and then went to something like an Eero, uh, more often than not, people report that that solved the problem. Is Interesting. that thing yeah, got better Wi-Fi. Yeah, so the, um, and yeah, you're uh, if you're gonna s- test speeds, do it over Ethernet because you're almost certainly not gonna see your full uh, advertised
0: speed on Wi-Fi because that's just how the Wi-Fi works. Yeah, Wi-Fi is right? g- generally speaking, it, you know. So, in my scenario here with all of my mesh satellites, usually again, things always are changing here, but, but when they're in sort of back to normal mode, all my mesh points are connected via ethernet, um, which means that I'm, I shouldn't be experiencing any mesh related, like multi hop delays where that's, you know, I'm wifi to a satellite. And then that satellite is Wi-Fi back to the main router or anything. So I shouldn't be experiencing any of that. doesn't mean I don't, uh, but in that scenario, so with everything as perfect as it could possibly be, and me very near a mesh point, I generally am seeing Wi-Fi based download speeds from the internet or from local uh, resources at <clears throat> somewhere between three fifty and mm-hmm. maxing out somewhere about five hundred. Um, that's pretty good, and. I haven't heard of too many people getting better than that with Wi-Fi 5. With Wi-Fi 6, I can get fully up to a gigabit. No problem. Um, and we're going to start talking about a lot more Wi-Fi 6 stuff because I think it's it's finally at the point where we're all going to wind up with it next year in lots of different devices. We already have it in our iPhones 11, um, but I, I think, you know, our routers and things like that as we replace them starting, well, starting right now. But I think next year it's going to begin to hit critical mass for us sort of. Almost accidentally, and that's a good thing. But but yeah, you know that three fifty to five hundred is about the max of what I would get. Uh, perfect world. Usually, I'm in the one fifty to two hundred range, just because I'm not sitting right next to a, an access point. I'm you know somewhere else because that's how Wi-Fi works, and there's walls and other RF emitting devices and all of that between us. So. I agree with you, John. Yeah, of course, ethernet is, that's the way to know is your ISP delivering to your house that now, you know, okay, the weak link in the chain is me. Great. What can I do to reposition things or whatever? Maybe even just changing channels, which your mesh system should be doing automatically. Uh, but you know, that kind of, that sort of troubleshooting would be the next step of that. So yeah, pretty good.
1: Um, yeah. Yeah. And actually when I was diagnosing my wifi stuff, um, iStumbler is always good to see what's in the neighborhood to see if, you know, there's a new kid on the block that mm-hmm. maybe traumatizing your uh, your Wi-Fi. Um, the other thing is either Dabuki or if you hold down option and click on the little uh, Wi-Fi link um, in your menu bar, it'll show you the negotiated rate if you want to see what you should be getting. Okay. Over Wi-Fi. Yeah. That's uh, another
0: check. Yep. Yep, for sure. I um I I use I, I use two tools on my Mac to check Wi-Fi. One is uh, as you said, I stumbler. The other is one that's built or included with Setapp, and it is called Wi-Fi Explorer. And they both just present things in a different way. So if I'm looking for way finding overlapping channels or finding congested channels, wi-fi explorers tends to to it just shows that in a way that it's easier to see at a glance like when i was at my my daughter's college apartment setting up her wi-fi i set it up with um i don't remember the model but it's the the netgear combo doxus 3.1 cable modem and uh and four by four router all in one like really strong thing i'll i'll, I'll, I'll we just mentioned it a couple of weeks ago i'll put it i'll put a link in the show notes once i um once I figure out which model it is. But it's 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 a great device. If you if you need a new cable modem and a router and you don't need mesh necessarily, although Netgear's Nighthawk mesh can link with this. Um this is a great thing cuz it's 4 by 4 tri-band, you know, all great. So, uh I set it up for her and you know, I was getting they have 300 down and 10 up from Xfinity. I was like, "Okay." Uh I was over Ethernet. I was getting 300 down and 10 up or a little more than that. And then I connected my phone sitting in exactly the same spot where I was able to Ethernet connect my Mac. And I was getting like 110 down or something. It was like, crap. So I fired up, you know, Wi-Fi Explorer and looked. And, you know, the channels, I mean, it's an apartment building. So anybody, any of you that live in an apartment, know. Really, the best thing would be if the all the residents nominated one person to be the apartment network manager and let that person set the channels and signal strength of everyone's radios in their, you know, and routers, because that you could truly balance it out. Like I I looked at it. I'm like, wow, 80 percent of the people here have everything on like channel 11 or something. It's like and, and, and the same was true for the five gigahertz band. You know, it's like everything's crowded up here. Like what what's going on? And so I just moved some things around and found the channel that only had maybe one other radio on it. So this wasn't even about the strength of the competing radios. It was about the number of competing radios. Uh, And because in an apartment building, their strengths are sort of irrelevant, uh, but it was the number of them. And that Wi-Fi Explorer really showed me easily because it sort of shows them as a stack. And so it was like one channel had this, you know, tall spire and the other one was like a little shrub. And so I chose the shrub and instantly it was like, okay, now I get three thirty down everywhere in the apartment. It's like, perfect. You're good. Good to go. <laughs> and, and with, you know, six of them living there uh, that that's, that's going to matter, especially with most of them being uh, at least half of their classes being online and all that stuff. So, yeah. All right. Um uh, uh, cable modem router. I'm just making a note to myself to go find that thing later. Let's uh, let's go to listener John and dig into some more of these testing things and see what we come up with. Because listener John says uh, he's having some issues and and he says uh, you were talking about upgrading your cable modem to DOCSIS 3.1 and all the benefits you would get with this, including get a, getting rid of buffer bloat especially regard with regards to uploads which typically are capped at a much lower bandwidth than download speeds i have xfinity xfinity blast which is 200 down and 10 or 12 up uh, after your recommendations i uh, am in essentially the same boat now with a deco m5 mesh system and the same service uh, david had as well but i upgraded from an arris uh, doxis 3.0 telephony modem to uh, and i got rid of xfinity's phone service And now use Google Voice and the Obi Talk device, which is great. Glad to hear it. Uh he says, and I purchased a new Netgear CM twelve hundred Doxis three point one modem. And after upgrading the modem, things seem to be working fine with no perceived difference. But uh he tried the DSL reports speed test, which supposedly measures buffer bloat, and doesn't really see a difference here. So um your You're uh, the thing you mentioned before about pinging www.apple.com is is the way I test buffer bloat here. And by what we mean by buffer bloat is when you are it can happen on the downstream, but it's far more likely to happen on the upstream. If you have one device that is uploading lots of data or data over a period of time at the maximum rate that you can upload, then that fills up the buffer of the cable modem. And that then slows down any other traffic that needs to get out because it has to get in line behind this data that's just constantly filling the buffers. So things like checking email, which mostly is a data pulling down operation, but you have to send your requests and acknowledgements out. And the same with web pages and all of that. Those things, your outbound requests and acknowledgements get queued up and that gives you an effective perceived slowdown. It's an actual slowdown. So the idea is to use a better queuing algorithm and DOCSIS 3.1 introduces a better queuing algorithm. Some router manufacturers also offer better queuing algorithms that would uh, step in the way of, of you know DOCSIS 3.1. But DOCSIS 3.1's queuing algorithm is much better. It's not perfect. There's nothing really perfect, but it is much better And what I see when I do, so I start a ping test to www.apple.com. And what I'm looking at is the time that it takes, uh, that it reports at the end of that ping. What, what a ping is, is it sends a signal to apple .apple www.apple.com in this case, and then sends that back to me. Right. So the time that's listed there is hopefully in milliseconds and not in seconds. (laughs) (laughs) Right. Um, But it's listed in milliseconds. So a thousand of those is one second. And, it should be, you know, somewhere less than a hundred, uh, whatever normal is, is sort of up to a lot of different factors, but you should figure out what it looks like when things are normal. So get that ping going, watch it for 10, 15 seconds before you start doing anything great. Now, you know what normal looks like now start a speed test because a speed test operation from your web browser, from the command line, whatever is going to soak up as much of your pipe as it possibly can, especially on the outbound. So do your speed test and watch what happens, especially watch what happens when the download test finish finishes and the upload test starts. That's where you're going to see what happens. And for me, I get about a second and a half of high buffer when the, when the big burst starts and then it ratchets back down to something far more normal. That's the queuing algorithm in my cable modem doing its job. But it it, it takes a second for it to catch it. Um, the good news is that you still get to use all of your bandwidth. If you let your router do this, your router has to artificially limit the bandwidth that it sends out and in so that it's not sending more to the buffer than the buffer will allow, because if you fill up the buffer, then you get whatever the buffer is going to do in this case, what I just described. But with Docsis three, it would just stay at, you know, you know, many orders of magnitude greater millisecond numbers, which is bad. But I get them for one second, maybe two, and then things ratchet back down to normal. That's where you can see the queuing algorithm doing its job while you're still getting full bandwidth. So uh, that's how I look at it. DSL reports is a little less forgiving. They don't like to see any of that. And that's probably why you're getting the, you know, the lower scores. You know, I think it's an a through F score kind of thing on, on DSL reports. That's probably why, but take a look at what you actually get um, because that's the same data that DSL reports is getting. They're just choosing to interpret it one way, which is not wrong or right. It's just their way of choosing to interpret it. They're consistent. Uh, But I, I look at it this way and I, I don't mind, you know, one second of going from say 30 millisecond turnaround to 400 millisecond turnaround, because after that I'm back down to somewhere between, you know, 60 and 80 and that's totally fine. Like that's not going to be an issue at all. So that's where I find out. What do you think, John?
1: Um, the last time I did the DSL reports,
0: I got all A's. Really? Really? Oh, well, that's good. Well, you're, oh, because you're running Eero with smart queuing yes. management. So you're letting your Eero do it before it e- ever gets to your cable modem. So you're never hitting that wall. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's good. I like it. All right. Well, man, we got all kinds of stuff. We're going to talk about uh, Ethernet versus Wi-Fi. We've got a bunch of IoT questions as they relate to our networks, including one from Mr. John F. Braun, I believe. So mm-hmm. we got lots to go through, and I am eager to do that. Right now, what I am eager to do is tell you about our three sponsors, unless you've got something else to discuss, Mr. Braun. No, let's go. All right. Our first sponsor for today is a sponsor with a cool stuff found of their own, and that is Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com with their OWC Thunderbolt 3 mini dock. We are big fans of Otherworld Computing here. John and I tend to go there first whenever we need something to extend or expand our Macs and various other devices. And we certainly are fans of their Thunderbolt 3 dock. In fact, I have one right in front of me, and I'm pretty sure John does too. Well, now they have their Thunderbolt 3 mini dock which is a bus powered multi adapter, right? So that's the beauty of Thunderbolt three is you can, it's got so much bandwidth and it's got such a pipe directly to the motherboard that you can add all kinds of things. And the OWC Thunderbolt three mini Dock includes two HDMI ports. So dual 4k HDMI, dual USB, one USB three, one USB two and gigabit internet. And again, just to reiterate, it's bus powered. So this is great with your laptop because you can take it with you. You can plug it into an external monitor. You can use your USB drives and you can connect to ethernet. And as I said, it's all bus powered. So you don't have to worry about an extra power supply for the dock or anything like that. This is just one of the many things that OWC offers you. They craft these products perfectly because they know how this stuff works. They really are experts and they're geeks like us, except they know their stuff even better than we do, which is how it's supposed to work. It's great. Go check it out. MaxSales.com. We trust them. Uh, we highly recommend you check them out. MaxSales.com. Our thanks to MaxSales and and Otherworld Computing for sponsoring this episode. Next up is Plush Care. You know, things are challenging enough these days. Seeing a doctor definitely doesn't need to be one of those challenging things. And that's why... I've been really loving Plush Care. I've used it. My daughters used it. Plush Care provides primary and urgent healthcare through virtual appointments. You can do them on your phone. You can do them on your computer. In fact, you do it all there. You schedule an appointment even for the same day. You do right there. And truly, like they do have same day appointments. That's what I've used. You just pick a slot that works for you. You can see the doctor that you are picking. You pick a slot that works. And that way you're not wasting time on hold. You're certainly not sitting in a crowded waiting room or anything. And with your Plus Care membership, you can see your doctor right from the comfort of your own home. You can even be in your jammies if you want. They can diagnose you, of course. They can treat you. And uh, as I've experienced, they can even write you prescriptions sent to your local pharmacy if you need. And it all happens within minutes. And if you have questions before or after your visit, you can send unlimited messages to your care team at any point in time. This is super handy. So you, you know, you kind of get something going and then I, you know, I, I find myself, I'm sure you are the same. Find myself with questions, boom, off it goes. They really do a great job, again, at just being able to get an appointment so quickly, even on the weekends. Uh, I've been able to you know, see plenty of appointments available, same day, next day kind of thing, no problem. And then, and then you just talk, and we all know how to use our phones to talk. We're good at that now, so it's really great. Plush Care makes it easy for me to get the excellent care I need when I need it, and they can do the same for you. And you can start your membership today. Go to plushcare.com slash MGG to start your free 30-day trial. That's P-L-U-S-H-C-A-R-E dot com slash MGG for a free 30-day trial. plushcare.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Plush Care for sponsoring this episode. We talk a lot about cell phones and mobile phone providers and service and all of that here. And one of the things we used to talk a lot about is those Huge monthly bills that we didn't like. Well, then we learned, didn't we? We've learned about Mint Mobile because with Mint Mobile, we can cut our wireless bills down to just 15 bucks a month, saving hundreds of dollars. And Mint Mobile, of course, is our next sponsor here. If you're looking to save without sacrificing your service, switching to Mint Mobile is a no-brainer. They moved everything online. They, they just created a new model is really what they did. So you're not paying for retail stores that, quite frankly, right now we wouldn't be going into anyway. But Mint Mobile's been doing this for years. Uh, so they, it's just part of their foundation. It's how they work. Everything's online. Everything, uh, all those savings are just passed along to you. So this is what they do. They knew that most of us were paying for way more data than we were actually using. In fact, a lot of us were paying for quote unquote unlimited data, but we all really know that there were some limits in there. And most of us were comfortable calling it unlimited because we were never hitting those limits. Well, guess what? We were paying for those limits. So why not just pay for the data that you use? And this is what Mint Mobile does. So every plan comes with unlimited nationwide talk and text plus crazy fast 4G LTE. And if you go to their website, you'll see. They're even on the 5G train, which is awesome. You can bring your own phone with any Mint Mobile plan and keep your same phone number along with your existing contacts. They support Apple's visual voicemail, like their iPhone people over there, so they get it. And if you're not 100% satisfied, Mint Mobile has you covered with their seven-day money-back guarantee. So to get your new wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month and get the plan shipped to your door for free... Go to mintmobile.com slash MGG. That's mintmobile.com slash MGG. Again, cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash MGG. Our thanks to Mint Mobile for sponsoring this episode. All right, John, let's let's go to Allison here. And Allison asks... A generic question and then a specific example to explain why I'm asking. In System Preferences Network, you can set the priority of your network interfaces. Uh, If you prioritize Ethernet above Wi-Fi, what does this actually do? Wi-Fi still works, so what has changed? My specific problem that prompts the question, she asked. And this is Allison from uh, NoSilicast at podfeet.com. So she's actually using a similar setup to us, except... She's got two computers in the same house run by two different people. Uh, she says, with Memo Live when broadcasting my live show, as you guys do now, I have to turn Wi-Fi completely off or my video and audio wind up getting out of sync. Steve is the producer on his iMac in another room. And she says, I'm using Memo Live to send my video and audio of my screen and my voice to him. I really want slash need Wi-Fi on because I use a 12.9 inch iPad Pro as an auxiliary screen using Sidecar. Of course, that requires Wi-Fi. It would seem that Memo Live should use Ethernet for its work and let Sidecar use Wi-Fi without interference. I've tested our setup without running Sidecar, but Wi-Fi on and the sync problem still exists. So it's definitely Wi-Fi, not uh, Sidecar. Hence my question about what does prioritizing Ethernet do If it doesn't solve this problem. Okay, so it's a great question. Uh, When you reprioritize things, all the network interfaces are still active and alive. What it does is it sets which one gets the default gateway, meaning which one are packets sent to when they are meant to go over the Internet. What happens locally on your network isn't quite as controllable Um, and so you will get some of your local network connections Uh, i've seen them bouncing between wi-fi and ethernet at times like i'll see packets and then it it like jumps so my guess is that this is exactly what you're running into here and then because you're doing audio and video live you know any little hiccup can cause a sync issue i suppose it's possible i don't know how Mimo live does its thing but it's possible Memo Live sets up two streams and one winds up going over Wi-Fi and the other one winds up going over video. I don't know this. I'm just speculating. But that would certainly explain an out of sync scenario here. Um, so there's a couple of ways you could solve this. Um, number one, you could manually this. So I'm going with the most complex to the least complex. It's just how my brain works. Um, in fact, I didn't even think of the least complex one until about 10 seconds ago. But you can manually set the subnet mask of your Wi-Fi so that it excludes Steve's IP address. And and the, right. I mean, that's the subnet mask essentially tells your computer if something is available without going through the gateway or with going through the gateway. That's what the subnet mask tells your computer. And so if you say in order to connect to Steve's computer, you must go through the gateway and we've decided that the gateway is the Ethernet interface. All traffic will be routed up there. And then, of course, the the Ethernet interface will say, "Uh, no, I don't need the gateway. I got you. And it'll just talk to Steve. So that's one way of doing this. Um, A better way of solving it, uh, both simpler and 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 less likely to cause problems is to leave Wi-Fi turned on, but disconnect from your Wi-Fi network. Because sidecar just needs Wi-Fi enabled, it does not need Wi-Fi to be associated with an access point. Um, I'm pretty sure of this. I, like because I've done this before where there's no Wi-Fi and yet my my devices are able to sidecar up. no problem. Um, it uses I think it uses Bluetooth to find them and then Wi-Fi in an ad hoc way to associate. So I think that might be the better way. And then really, you probably never well, I don't know how often you move your MacBook Pro around. Maybe there are times when you need the Wi-Fi to associate with your uh, actual network, but you would, my advice would be turn off the auto join, uncheck that new checkbox there in in Catalina uh, on your network so that it's not constantly rejoining that network and you have to remember to go to the Wi-Fi menu. I think we can go to the Wi-Fi menu and say like uh detach From disk, yeah. If you option click the Wi Fi menu, you will get disconnect from network name, and then it will disconnect from that network. But Wi Fi is still on, so I think that's the answer, John. What do you think, man?
1: Oh, look at that. Okay,
0: I don't know. It's it's, right. I mean, (laughs) any other ideas? No, I'll I'll buy it. Yeah, all right, cool. (laughs) <laughs> me, what was that line from? I'll buy that for a dollar. And what was that? Who said that? Uh, I think it was in RoboCop, right? Oh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The guy on TV. Okay. I'd buy that for a dollar. That's right. Yes, yes, exactly. Exactly. That, Mr. John F. Braun, you always have the pop culture.
1: No, I have. Um, yeah, I remember. Uh, uh, so this machine. Yeah, I've never had to get to the level that you had. But I, I remember this machine that I'm on here. I had to turn on Wi-Fi to enable location, the uh, in order for it to find the location. Okay. Of my computer, it right? Ha- Wi-Fi has to be uh, Yeah, you told me this. But right. Yeah. So you've you've definitely dug into this more because I'm like, well, why doesn't it know the location? I mean, it should be able to geocode it off the IP address, and it's like, nah, it's not really how it works. That's it's not how they choose to make it work, right? Yeah. Right. Exactly. Yep. Yeah, yeah. once I turned on Wi-Fi, it yeah showed me on the map where uh, where my mini is, um, right?
0: Which was cool. Yeah, or creepy, or both. Mm -hmm. You know, there's a lot of things. Well, I wanted I wanted to know, right? Well, that's that's it's all about perspective, isn't it? So yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, Um, Louis. I believe this is Louis. Yes, Louis from Montreal has a question. Uh, He says, "My wife and I are planning to build a new house in the near future, and I'm already planning the home network." Boy, uh, he says, here's my plan. Number one, I'm planning to use mesh Wi-Fi, which I'm thinking of wiring to ensure reliability with the backhaul. Yes. Uh, number two, I'll have a server closet where I'll have the main mesh module and all the different IoT hubs, Lutron, smart things, et cetera, which require wired connections. Great. Number three, the closet will have the main Ethernet switch. Great. Number four, I'm planning to wire the whole house. Opened walls might as well. Right. Yep. Number five, I'm planning to install a few smaller switches in specific areas to minimize the cable runs to the main ethernet switch. Okay. And number six, I'll have a few cameras for security. Are there any problems with this? Uh, Is there a problem to have satellite switches in particular, anything I should be aware of? I'm leaning towards wired security cameras. Is this overkill as opposed to wireless? Any general advice? Okay. So I have some thoughts about this, John, you might too. Satellite switches. Um, You know, I, I do this certainly Um, if you can avoid it and that's a, there's a big asterisk there. You know, if you can avoid it, it is better not to have satellite switches. That said, there's usually a huge cost involved in, uh, in avoiding it a running all those wires everywhere in your house and, and preemptively predicting how many drops you'll need in every single room or going overkill and running like 10 Ethernet drops to every room. That's, that's going to be great. Like that, I, that would solve the problem, but it's overkill. Also switches get start to get almost exponentially more expensive as the number of ports on a given switch grows. So it's very likely less expensive to buy three, eight port gigabit switches than it is one 24 port because the backplane of that switch only needs to do eight, whereas the backplane of a 24 port switch needs to do, you know, 24 gigs or 48 gigs of data, you know, and that's a lot of data to to be moving around and you need faster CPUs and more heat issues and all of that stuff. So, again, if you just have all this hardware and the wires are already there, great. Avoid satellite switches. Otherwise, you know, it's it's our freaking houses like we don't need The most pristine, efficient network, even though we want that. Um, That said, though, I would make sure to use Cat7 in your walls so that you can leverage 10G Ethernet to your satellite switches. If you ever decide you want that kind of backplane or backbone to your house, the idea would be all your devices would connect to your switches at single gig, you know, regular gigabit Ethernet. But your switches could connect to each other at 10 gig ethernet to give you the ability to have more than one device speaking at full speed across the, the satellite link, if you would. So that, you know, that would be my thought on that. What do you, what do you think about that? John, we'll get to the security camera question in a minute and any other stuff, but what do you think? Um, about that?
1: Yeah. As far as how you want to architect it. Yeah. Um, as far as having satellite switches, the, the only thing I looked up here, you want to keep this in mind, is that rather than doing a, a single run, the thing is every um, Ethernet cable has a recommended distance. And so I just quickly searched this in Google and this the sounds right. But Cat7 is only effective up to about 50 feet.
0: Oh, I thought so, Cat7 uh, did 100 meters of 10 gig.
1: Oh, uh, let's see. Okay. No, another thing. Okay. Maximum length of cat seven is a hundred meters, which is what about 300 feet? Yeah, right? that's right. Like, yeah. 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 A meter is about three feet. Okay. No. The, um, oh, that should be, uh, well, depending on how big your house is, uh, I guess uh, keep in mind that sure there, there is a maximum distance that any network cable, um, can run I, I've run, but yeah, I've run 300 feet. Cables. That's, um, yeah, I, <laughs> Yeah. yeah, that that that'd be fine for me. That's fine. So, um, <laughs> yeah. When you're when designing your network though, just
0: No, it it's smart because you're right, in a house, you know, it's not you're not always going straight from point A to point B when you're running cable. You might wind up taking a circuitous path of you know least resistance, if you will. So yeah, no, that's 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 a good thing to bear in mind. And Yeah. And, the other thing is you may have cable running to, you may be able to utilize
1: Cable and do Mocha. If I you already would, have existing,
0: uh, uh, I'm, I'm just if saying exi- if you have it, it, yes, absolutely. I I have. That's what I'm doing in order to get uh, you know high speed cable to my my living room uh pre pandemic when I got you know when when the idea of having other humans in my home started to be a whole lot less uh, mm-hmm. interesting to me. Uh, I had basically decided this summer I was just going to call an electrician and have them run an Ethernet cable to my living room because I'm getting sick and tired of the it's only maybe once every three weeks. The Mocha connection gets a little bit mungy, and so I need to go and restart both of the. The devices, you know, the the Mocha adapters on either end and then things are fine for a very long time, you know, several weeks. And then it's like, "Eh, I'm not all that happy anymore. And I don't know if interference builds up or what it is, but it is a modem. Right. So it's it's modulating from digital to analog and and noise gets weird. And, you know, there's other things talking on my coax in my house. So it it, like Mocha is a fantastic solution, but it is not perfect. Um, And after years of fighting with it fighting is really the wrong word but where it when it sucks is when it's time to go watch something like the day is done i want to you know watch some stupid show for an hour or whatever before i go to sleep we sit down as a family together we press play and it's like mm, why is it pixelated and it's like ah oh, crap okay hang on and i get up and it takes all of about 3 minutes to reset these things but that's not the moment of the day when i want to reset those things so i figured pay an electrician 150 bucks solve the problem So you've got your walls open. You don't have to pay the 150 bucks. It's essentially um, zero cost Delta on this running Ethernet. But yes, you're totally right. In an existing home, Mocha is, is a fantastic solution. So as far as his security cameras, John, my thought is... You know, you're probably fine with wireless stuff and it's so much more convenient, especially how the new ones and especially Yuffie with their um, battery life, you know, where it's like the the batteries in those things last, you know, they say a year, even if it's only half that having to charge a camera battery, you know, twice a year uh, at worst is not a terrible thing. Uh, So it gives you some freedom in terms of placement, a lot of freedom in terms of placement, both indoors and out. Whereas if you're wiring things, yes, you can run power over Ethernet. Um, so then you'd have to think about getting PoE switches or PoE injectors. Uh, but then you could just run one cable so you're not having to run two. And most wired cameras do support power over Ethernet, but not all of them. So it's worth thinking. But I would I would go wireless. I mean, the other ish- issue with wireless is, you know, how much are they soaking up your um, your bandwidth, your Wi-Fi bandwidth, you know, and are they streaming a hundred percent of the time or are they only streaming when there's activity? And I'll tell you if the cameras, battery life lasts, you know, six to 12 months, they are not streaming all the time. They are only streaming when there's activity. So, cause otherwise they'd burn those batteries out in about a day. So uh, yeah, I think you're, I think you're fine. So, you know, thoughts, John on the cameras or anything else?
1: Um, no, I'm, uh, no, I got the, the Eufy wired battery list and, um, yeah, yeah, I don't think it's constantly streaming. I think only when a, an event
0: right occurs, will it start? Cool. And, uh, and I hear that both, well, we're, we're, I'm perhaps jumping the gun, but, but, um, we were talking about hoobs or and or home last week. I hear the new ring plugins for hoobs and Homebridge will link our ring cameras to our, um, to our, our, our home map, which is really kind of nice. Cause the ring yep. app is super slow, man. Like, have you ever tried, like you get, Oh, there's, you know, motion in the driveway and you press the thing and it's like, okay, well, you know, wait five minutes or so and then I'll show you your motion in the driveway. It's like, I want to see it now. Otherwise, I'm going to get up and look in the driveway. Um, I'm, I'm jumping the gun, John, because I I can't help myself. There is a Cool Stuff Found, and we might not even get to a Cool Stuff Found segment this week, but I, I want to uh, share this, and it is something called Rapid Ring, and Rapid Ring is a third-party app. It is a free app, uh, and it gets the picture up from your ring doorbells nearly instantly it, you know, and not just doorbells, but you know, ring cameras in general, I've totally moved to it, it you know, we, we got it just a couple days ago and, and cool stuff found listener. John sent it in. Thank you, John. And, uh, and I still have the ring app on my phone, but I turned off all of its notifications. I turned on rapid rings and, and I'm just using rapid ring uh, for now. But as soon as I get my Hoobs set up going, uh, which should be hopefully in the next week here, uh then I, I might wind up just moving to that and having it all inside home uh, home kit. So anyway. Pretty good. You got it have you checked out Rapid Ring, John? Did you did you jump on that um, when it came in? Uh I
1: I'm not currently using a ring device.
0: Oh, that's right.
1: You moved to the Eufy doorbell. I forgot about that. That's right. Right. Yeah, yeah, and
0: yeah.
1: And um yeah. That's oh, right. Maybe I could install it on the back door.
0: I don't know. Oh, that's interesting.
1: Well, everybody got a camera on the right, <laughs> pointing, right. Uh, yeah. Pointing at my yard. So, um, so yeah, it's um, maybe I'll arrive at it someday.
0: Cool. If I add another door or something. I don't know. Cool. <laughs> cool. All right. We've got a couple of comments about Louis's network here. Um, and uh, Mac Vader says we can easily replace Ethernet cables without opening the walls, put pipes in the walls during building your house. Oh, this is good advice uh, that that way you can put new cables cables in at any time. Yeah. So running, uh, you know, uh, pipes or or conduit or whatever so that you've got a way to run. And then, of course, any electrician that does this would know. But but it's also good for you to know run string in those so that you have something to pull a new cable through. I mean, you can use the existing cable to pull a new cable through, but it, string is is better uh, because that way you're not messing with your existing stuff. So, yeah. No, that's really smart, Mac Vader. Yeah, that's good. Um, and Big NVA uh, in the chat room supports that. He says, I had conduit and boxes put in our house when built 21 years ago and have used four of them so far. Uh, you know what? That's actually pretty good. So, there you go. Let's I wish I had conduit in my walls. Um, I wish I, would and really, I wish I'd thought about a lot of this stuff when we were, when we moved in and did construction on the house. But, uh, all right, moving on to Torsten, uh, which I will find here who asks, uh, I've spent days searching uh, for this, and I'm hoping you can put me in the right direction. My network is uh, Verizon Fios, I presume, to a Synology RT2600AC as my router the via Ethernet and a TP-Link AV2000 from the basement to the second floor, uh, a Cisco switch and other devices like a, a Synology disk station, MacBook Pro, iPad via Ethernet. This has worked for a long time. Because of bad reception, I now wanted to add another router, a Netgear MR1100 or an Action Tech, uh, by adding it to the Cisco switch via Ethernet and turning on the offload via Ethernet function. Doing, uh, when I did this, the following issues appeared. The Wi-Fi network suddenly was very slow, and the Netgear shows an IP conflict error message and is asking for a unique subnet. I tried to play with different subnet masks on both the Synology router and the Netgear router that's being used as an access point without success. Any ideas on how to use this Netgear router as an extender to the network without causing these issues? Yeah. So you're building a quasi mesh. So this is like rewinding, you know, five or six years before Eero and all of the sort of actual mesh consumer mesh products started to appear. And what you What you want to make sure this is how we always used to do it, right? Because it was the only way Um, you only want one of your routers in router mode and that will be your Synology router because that's the one connected to your internet connection from there. Any other routers that you have you want to set in bridge mode or dumb mode or not router mode access point mode is what some of them call it. In fact, I think Netgear calls it access point mode. You want to turn off all of its routing features. It's probably, it, it it by happenstance, it is probably creating its own subnet that is exactly the same subnet as the upstream subnet to the, from the Synology. And that's probably why, A, you're getting these errors, and B, you're getting these slowdowns because these are non-routable subnets, and yet you've got duplicated things that can see each other. It's a mess. You don't want that. You want everything on one subnet. You don't want multiple routers, turn off the routing functions and that should solve that problem for you. Thoughts on that, Mr. Braun? Mm -hmm. Sounds good. Okay, good. Moving on, uh, time to get, start getting into some, um, well, oh no, I guess we got, we got one more on, on mesh here before we move on to some of the home kit stuff or home, smart home stuff. Matt, Says, I seem to recall that Dave was at one point going to review and discuss the Ubiquiti Dream Machine. Uh, I think I remember you saying that you had a demo sent to you. And uh, so I want to know about that. Here's why I ask. I currently have a first gen Eero system with one puck serving as my router and three more serving as mesh points around the house. Two of them have wired backhaul. One is fully wireless. So four Eros, one router, two wired, one wireless. Got it. The system has served me well, but lately has become unstable. The node serving as my router reboots at inopportune times, like when I'm on a Teams or WebEx meeting. A couple of the other mesh points exhibit odd behaviors sometimes as well. Wireless devices suddenly start having a hard time connecting, though the nearby mesh point claims to be up and running. A power cycle fixes it. This annoys my family. And Dave, as you know, family acceptance is key. When the family is unhappy, I hear about it. Yes, exactly. Uh, he says, so I was thinking of replacing the current setup with a Unify system. Here are my challenges. Uh, although I've read some online reviews, I want yours. And I find the Unify product line a bit confusing. Ubiquity must be in cahoots with Synology on the strategy of trying to make as many products as possible so no one knows which one to pick. <laughs> yeah, fair. Um, so, yes, I tested the Dream Machine for sure. Uh, I having it, I, ha- I currently have it sitting in my office as my backup if and when my Synology router dies. It I I think if I hadn't already standardized and and sort of gotten my life, uh, you know, founded on having this Synology router in place and, or uh, I just didn't have time to move the ubiquity uh, dream machine would be a great thing to go with. It's a fantastic router. I've had, I had no problems with it. And you know, one of the best parts about it is that it's part of the Unify line, uh, as you mentioned. And, the Unify line has lots of different options, which you also mentioned. <laughs> uh, there are only a few that really apply to those of us here at home, though. Um, and and they've got some outdoor-capable units, which is huge. Uh, but uh, the, the mesh points that I've used are the Nano HD mesh points, and those are a good option for sort of general-use indoor mesh. And now they've got their U6 Lite US and U6 LR US as their Wi-Fi 6 replacements for those. So, you know, this is this is a very interesting thing to me and I may wind up kind of moving my my foundational uh, router over to to this because, because of that. So, um I like that Dream Machine. Yeah, that's a it's a good thing. Um as for troubleshooting your EROS, it sounds like maybe the one acting as your router is malfunctioning. Um with Eero, the cool part one cool part about it is all the devices sort of they all because they all connect back to the Eero home base, right? They are cloud managed. Any of them can become your router without you having to reconfigure things. Just take the one that's your router out, take another one, plug it in at that point, um, and and it will figure out that it's the router and and it should just relay everything out. And then you could try that other access point somewhere else. It might be that its ethernet port is flaky, right? And so make that one your your wireless one and and forget about it. Or it might just need a factory reset. Uh and and, and all of this can sort of be done. So that that would be my troubleshooting advice on that is 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 put a different one in as your router and let's see what happens. But, you know. And again, it, I don't know how Fios does it because I have no personal experience with Fios, but there may be some like if it's with, if it's a cable modem, uh, you would have to do what we talked about earlier in the show, which is you know power cycling the cable modem so that it accepts the new hardware device Eero as its router. Um, y- you might have to do something similar, or even call Verizon tech support if they lock things into a specific uh, MAC address. But otherwise, yeah, good thoughts on that, John. Uh, my Eros,
1: for the most part, are, uh yeah I don't know I don't know what the it, within the last several weeks, I've had two different satellite units, okay show up with a red light, yep, uh cycling power seems to fix it the thing yeah right. do yeah I don't know why just one of them goes red. I mean, I've had them all go red, and that's when we have an outage, which sure we've had right and yeah all right this stuff of course, starts screaming. But every now and then, yeah, just just one of them will go red, and I don't know why. Yeah, yeah, right.
0: Huh. I and mean, it's getting old. I don't know if it's wearing out. Yeah, yeah. All right. Uh, it looks like those two, those Unify... Uh, 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 what was I going to say? Wi-Fi six devices are only available to early access things. I I searched and found them on Reddit, but uh, if you go to Unify site, it says that it's available only for early access users. So you could sign up as an early access user, I suppose. And then, and then potentially, you know, be able to get them. So just so you know. All right. Um, I don't know what else we got here, John. Let's see. Is it time? It's time to move into, uh, into the home kit realm or the home Smart home realm. Yeah, right. We're good. We're good with this one, my friend. Yes. Okay. Uh, Then let's go to Todd and uh, we'll start with a tip. He says, I don't know how I missed this for so long, but I just discovered right clicking on a tab in. uh, Oh, wait, sorry. (laughs) Wrong tip. There's two tips in the email. <clears throat> We've shared one already. He says, uh, I got a little carried away with letting HomeKit security settings and inadvertently broke my connection to my Ecobee's and Wemos. I believe it was my Eero app that asked if I wanted added security or something like that via HomeKit. Yes, HomeKit, you know, capable router is the key. Uh, he says, I clicked OK and I got caught. The next day, I went to change my thermostat temp via the Ecobee iPhone app, and it said both of my Ecobees were offline. But my Eros showed them both happily connected to our Wi-Fi network. I suspected HomeKit, so after much digging around in the HomeKit iPhone app, I went under the Home icon, and in the upper left of the screen, down to Network Wi-Fi network and routers. Under Accessories, I tapped on the Ecobee thermostat. Uh, the resulting image is titled Network Security. Automatic was selected. I changed that to no restriction and voila, the Ecobee app could see the two Ecobee's again. I went back into HomeKit, changed the network security for the Ecobee back to automatic and the Ecobee's showed offline. For obvious reasons, I am leaving the HomeKit network security for the Ecobee to no restriction. Uh... He said, similarly, the Wemo app showed the same thing. So I went in and did this. So this is it's interesting that those two devices, which I would say are pretty popular smart home devices, are not in not properly in the HomeKit router database to allow them through. But uh, clearly, for whatever reason, in your setup, they aren't. So that's a great little tip to make sure that you go into the home app if you've turned on homekit router security because it homekit was telling your router don't let those devices talk um and you wanted to let them talk so that's good that that's actually configurable uh, that you can you know you can do it on a, a per device or at least per vendor basis so i like that that's good all right um good yeah john yes okay. All right, good. Uh, on to and I believe this is Louis, not Louis, but I could be wrong about these things. No, it's actually the same Louis in Montreal. He says, I have a bunch of IoT hubs like Smart things, Lutron, etc., and I'm wondering about their ranges. I always thought that once the hub is connected to my network, my mesh network will provide coverage throughout my house. The hub is not solely responsible for talking to its minions, or is it? He says, if it is, it means I could have a mini server room in my basement with all my hubs and my mesh network would talk to all the different IOT components. So the reality, it's a great question. The reality is the answer depends Um, for your Z-Wave and other devices like your Philips Hue bulbs and things like that. It is your Wi-Fi, your your smart home hub that talks directly to those devices. So smart things you know philips hue hub lutron i think but but that but that one might depend uh but certainly smart things and philips hue they connect to your network via ethernet or a wi-fi dongle if you go that route and then uh they talk to the 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 bulbs or devices or whatever they are however all of these protocols are also mesh protocols. So it's important to separate this from your Wi-Fi network, which might or might not be a mesh. And then your smart home network, which is also a mesh, meaning that you really only need to have, say, one bulb within good range of your, you know, Philips Hue hub or your SmartThings things hub. And then that bulb will relay the signal to the next bulb and so on and so forth. This is all very low bandwidth stuff. You know, telling a bulb turn on or turn off is is truly very, very small bits of data. So even if it gets super slowed down by by passing around your your house like that, as long as the connection can be made, the signals will make it. And sure enough, I've got Philips Hue bulbs here. My hub is way over in the house. I've got one outside in the in the driveway uh on the office side of things and because there's also one at the lamp post in the middle of the driveway it just relays it across and I rarely do I have a connection problem to it if ever. So the answer is it depends and I'm assuming you found the same thing with your stuff right John? Um I can't see it happening, but I believe you. <laughs> that's fair. I believe me too. You're right. It, I could be totally wrong about this and have have no way it's of like, confirming it. But
1: no, it. I think you're right. It is. It, it's also a mesh. Um, yeah. Yeah. And it speaks uh, at least smart things for the most part speaks Z-Wave. And there's another protocol called Zigbee. Um, right. 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 So those are the two main languages that uh, smart things talks. And that's. I think pretty much all you need in the, or those are the two major standards from what I've seen yep. for uh, yeah, smart home stuff.
0: Yeah. Cool. Yeah. I think you're right. And I think I know I'm going to get this wrong and somebody will yell at me and that's okay. Um, but I think Phillips hue is like, is one of those. I, I, I want to say that it's, it's Z wave, but I could be totally wrong about that. Um, but it is one of those, but it's like their own somewhat customized version of one of those. So yeah, I don't know. Craziness. Um, All right, John, you, you have, you've been running into an issue with, with one of your one or maybe more of your smart home devices. You want to tell me what the issue is? Tell us what the issue is.
1: Yeah. So, uh, you know, like you, Dave, I have a whole bunch of things that, you know, are sitting around not, being used. Well, I finally saw these smart bulbs that I bought a while ago. Um, a tommy color smart bulb. Okay. And I got a two pack. And I was like, Yeah, it was a good price too. I think it was like under 30 bucks for two nice. bulbs and yeah. their color. Right. And I'm like, Yeah, well, let me, uh, but they advertise. So, but these are not Z wave bulbs. So all of my other bulbs, I think most of the other ones I got in the house are Cree, which, okay. uh, And they're Z-Wave, yeah. So they talk to my smart things, but um, but these are different, and they specifically advertise, "Hey, we're Wi-Fi bulbs."
0: Much better. That's cool. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. Well, it's different. I don't know if it's better. Well, (laughs) in this case, it's not better. You're going
0: to disagree with me on this one. Yeah. Okay. Yeah.
1: Yep. Well, because I wasn't able to add it, Uh, so I ran their program, which I already have two of their air conditioner controllers, so I have the app, but the app. You know, you also run to add bulbs and it's like, well, what do you want to add? And I'm like, well, I want to add a bulb. Okay. So, you know, ran their software, um, put the bulb in learn mode, which for most bulbs involves or discovery mode. I guess. OK, yeah, right, so, right, right. So this specific one, you have to turn the power on for three seconds, off for three seconds and repeat that three times. Then the bulb will start flashing saying, hey, I'm in discovery mode. Yep. It's like, OK, cool. Yep. Then I, you know, proceeded to run their app and it's like, whoa, whoa, make sure you're talking to 2.4 gigahertz and not five. And they even have, you know, a smiley face next to two, four and a frowny face next to five. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, my ERO is 2.4 and five, right, right? Right. But it it
0: doesn't work. <laughs> yeah. So we've seen this. Um, and we we've, we've talked about it on the show. We've seen this with with lots of mesh systems. Certainly, Eero is one of them. But um, famously, we went through this with with Orbi and also Velop. But but I mean, they're, they all are susceptible to this. It really isn't the mesh system, except it. it except I'll put an asterisk on that because they could help us solve this. The issue is the way the smart home device vendor, in this case, Atomi. Has chosen to make their bulb uh, or device association path work. What they could do, and what we presume that they're doing, and why none of this makes sense to us the first time we see it, is just like what you said like, well, yeah, I've got both 2.4 and 5. Here's the Wi Fi name, go join. Many smart home devices do exactly that. And even though your phone is talking to the five gigahertz version of that Wi-Fi band and you're but, but you're you're a 2.4 device cannot see the five gigahertz version, right? Because it doesn't speak that frequency. So it's only going to see mm-hmm. the 2.4. It says, got it. You know, I'm going to connect to John's network. You know, the SSID named John's network. I know that's not your network name, but whatever, you know, and and, it you know, the, whatever password credentials you gave me. Great. I'm going to connect and I'm good to go because I know the name of the network and I know the password. Awesome. And for the smart home devices that do that, everything works fine. Some of them don't do that. They look at your phone and they ask your phone, what is the Mac address of the Wi-Fi access point to which you are currently connected? Uh, Right. And the hmm. Mac address of the Wi-Fi device is unique to each radio. So if your phone is connected to a five gigahertz device, then the you know, the your IOT device that doesn't have a five gigahertz radio and really shouldn't have a five gigahertz radio. You you know, it's low bandwidth stuff. It is uh, you want it to be two point four so that it gets the benefits of two point four gigahertz range, all of that. Right. So this is the problem. And the, the bigger part of the problem is that your mesh vendor, Eero, and at, as most of them. Don't let you split 2.4 from 5. And so you have, the, the, you only have a few ways of doing this. One way would be to walk far away from your access point and set up your bulb from there, hoping that your phone has chosen to choose, uh, ch- chosen to choose, sure, I'll go with it, the <laughs> 2.4 gigahertz network instead of the 5 gigahertz network, right? And then, then you're, you're going to be fine. But that's rarely going to happen. So it, it's a huge source of frustration. Some Wi-Fi vendors, some mesh vendors will allow you to set the 2.4 and 5 gigahertz uh, you know, radios differently from each other. But quite frankly, most of them will not. And, and so you're going to run into this problem. I can help you, John, because mm-hmm. I am an Eero Pro installer. And what that means is I've registered with EROS Consultant program. I actually could sell EROS although I've never done that. I've just used it for helping uh my clients, you know, I have a few Dave the Nerd clients that have EROS and I I it allows me to remotely manage their networks without knowing their username and password. They give me permission as a as a pro installer to their network and I can manage things. And I have a couple of different features that we as people that have Eros in our homes don't have in our apps. And one of those features is temporarily disable five gigahertz network. So, yeah. If you give me as as pro installer access to your network, I can go in and turn off the five gigahertz for you. You go and, and do your thing and then you turn, uh, you know, then we turn that back on and everything's fine because your smart home device, your bulbs will only connect to the two point four because that's all they know. And then everything else will be back to connecting to five. So uh, that's the way to solve this problem. I, I wish Eero would add this to their app so that all of us, regardless of whether we're pro installers or not had access to it. Because what's weird is I can't be a pro installer for my own Eero network for whatever reason. I think it's because the email addresses are tied or whatever. So I can't run I can't do this on my own here network, at least not without jumping through some hoops. Um, at least I haven't figured out how, but, uh, but I certainly could do it for yours. So we could, we could solve that problem. And anybody else out there, you have to be a, you know, you have to have a business and, and be able to show that you actually do this and consult and all that stuff. Um, but the process isn't terrible. And I highly recommend if you are doing any sort of support to become a pro Euro, um, installer. So uh, I'll put a link to the Euro pro, um, website so that either you can become one or you can find one. I think they do referrals and things like that too. So anyway, I put that out there, but that's the, that's the issue. And, and like I said, each mesh system either deals with this differently or doesn't. There are many where you simply can't control it. There are a few where you can go in and either turn off the radio like this or, um, rename the networks and split them. But once you, once you bifurcate them, it gets a little weird because I, I it, it, even once you set it back, like there is some part of the network name that's important to the negotiation. So I think when the network name changes, even though it's a connecting by Mac address, it's not going to get you there. So, so there you go. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So that's, the... I, meant I.
1: I have two other things that I'm trying. Okay. And they're both, TP-Link, surprise. So one, I still have a TP-Link extender, Dave. Yeah. And you can set it up with both 5 gigahertz and 2.4 gigahertz
0: SSIDs. Separately. So that may be one way. Oh, right. Right. Yeah, there's nothing stopping you from connecting another router to broadcast just 2.4 on a different band, and and you could even like hide that SSID if you want, and just use that for your IoT devices. That's true. That's
1: yep. Yeah. Now I, I hit a roadblock with that though because when I added my extender to my network with its uh, existing settings, the Thing Box was like, "Whoa, whoa, who's this?" Yeah, and they were like, "Do you want to let this in?" So so it, it detected that somebody was trying to glom onto my. Uh, my uh, Wi-Fi, which is actually pretty cool. Yeah, that's good. Yeah, (laughs) I noticed that. Um, The other thing is that I still have my Archer C9 um, access point. Okay. Okay. Which also lets me set both a 5 gigahertz and a 2.4 gigahertz.
0: Right. Right. Of course. Yeah, of
1: course. So what I may do. uh, Yeah. So that's the path I'm trying to take right now, though. There's some, it won't go. There is, this model doesn't, have a bridge mode, which okay. is annoying okay. to me. Yep. So it's getting an IP address and a different subnet. Um, and I think that's causing problems. So I gotta I gotta do a bit more work, but I yeah. think that's gonna be the solution is setting up a special, you know, SSID just for the two point four
0: gigahertz right. Uh, Wi-Fi. Right, right. Right.
1: Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Uh thanks for clearing that up. Okay, so it's it's yeah because the setup does exactly what you say is that it takes whatever you're connected to yeah. on the phone and it tries to connect to that but it's it's kind of dumb about it it could it could be like well, let me let me connect to the 2.4 version of this SSID.
0: If it like, just connected yeah. via SSID, it would yeah. be fine. And I like, but it's like, not. But it's I, not. I I, there's got to be some you know code library out there that all these IoT vendors are just like lazily baking into their apps. Like, oh, that'll take care of the association for me. Great, done. Check the box, move on. You know, and and they really like it, it's a big enough problem that the mesh vendors all should have a way of dealing with this uh because it comes up all the time they you know some of them some of them don't at all some of them do at a very elegant way and then you get like the eros in the middle where it's like okay well And you know what? My guess is you don't need a pro Eero installer to help you with this. You could call Eero because, of course, their support techs are, you know, have the same access or more, right, Mm -hmm. I would assume, and just say, hey, I'm having this problem. Can you turn off my five gigahertz network for 20 minutes? And Mm -hmm. my guess is they would be like, yeah, sure, no problem. So that, that, honestly, that's a better solution, unless you want me to be managing your network, in in which case, you know, I'm all in, but... um, Um,
1: now, here's another thing. actually, I, I didn't mention this, but this is a good suggestion from our friend Blatboy in our chat room. Today. Yes and And this is actually another route that i I, I was taking yeah. um, or I, I was thinking of taking. So he says, I keep my iOT. devices on a guest network, maybe limiting that network. And the thing is, now that I think about it, the uh archer. Guest network setup yeah. had a checkbox that caught my attention and it has said allow guests to see the rest of the network. I think if I use the guest network instead of but because it's getting a 192 address instead of a 172, which is yeah. what the rest of my network is on. I think if I put the bulbs on a special guest network SSID and check that box that says let it see everybody else, that may do it for me. As
0: well. No, because that, that's not what that mm. box does. Is it it either allows it limit by by default with it off it means the only thing devices connected to the guest network can do are connect to the internet that's it. so mm-hmm. if I came to your house and I connected to your guest network and then said, "Hey, man, I want to print to your printer, I wouldn't be able to see your network printer because I'm not allowed to see other local devices mm-hmm. That's sort of the point of the guest network is it silos it in a, a VLAN sort of way. Um, Mm -hmm. it does not change. I would still see, and and you would too, if you turned on your guest network, I'm sure you would see both 2.4 and five gigahertz versions of your guest network being broadcast. So, um, so yeah, that, that's the, that would be the issue there is, um, is that. Okay. So, yeah, well, thanks for the, uh, yeah, man.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for the analysis. So now I, I have a better idea of which, uh. Direction I want to take.
0: Yeah. I think calling aero customer support would probably solve this for you within about five minutes because they could just turn it mm-hmm. off, you know, but you get it set up and then turn it back on and, and life is good. Mm-hmm. You're back to being Joe Walsh, you know, life, life is good so far and also afterwards. So there you go. Yep. All right. Well, I had promised that we were going to get to some uh, some NAS stuff today, John, with disk stations and all of that. But qu- quite obviously, that's going to have to wait, my friend. Uh, we uh, uh. we got. Yeah, we got. I, I am glad that we snuck a cool stuff found in. So at least there was that. Uh, but uh, but yeah, no, we um, we uh, we we got we had too much network fun. That's what uh, I think I'm going to have to change the title of the episode to too much network fun because uh, I built a nice little image for this week's episode. And just like I did last week, I got to learn to stop building these things before uh, before the shows, because I I get I get caught. John is what happens. And that's uh, one never knows. Do one. What's that? One One never knows. knows. Do one. Do one. I like that. Wouldn't it be does one? I don't know is that is that yet another pop culture reference I'm missing? Um Yes. So. Okay. All right, well, that's good. Uh I do want to take a minute though and thank all of our premium subscribers whose contributions have come in as of late. You can learn more about MacKeep Premium at slash premium Uh it is our way of answering the call that uh many of you had uh, who, that who wanted to and are able to support us directly. Uh, obviously simply listening to the show is the best thing that you can do, uh, telling other people about it, sending in your questions, your tips, your cool stuff found. That's awesome. Uh, helping out our sponsors is, you know, one way of, uh, sort of giving us indirect financial support because when, when you visit them, if you never visit our sponsors, it's very rare that the chance would come up for you to buy something from them. Uh, we all, We only ask that you you visit them, and then if they 've got something for you, then great you know that, but that 's between you and them uh, so that 's one way of indirect uh, financial support and then of course there 's the direct way, which is premium payments. It is optional uh, you are you are just as welcome a listener, uh, but we do answer our premium questions that come in first. So, uh, you know, you, you do this extra thing for us, we do this extra thing for you. The secret is that we really do try to get to all the questions that come in, but we do prioritize the premium stuff. So I want to send out my thanks to uh, those of you that have sent in contributions, either manually or automatically recently. Patrick from Shreveport. Jonathan uh, from, I'm not sure where, Martine. Uh, Kirshen. Michael from Bristol, Stephen from Plainfield, Fernando from Cincinnati, Robert from Columbiana, Walter from Kansas City, Stuart, Barry from uh, probably traveling somewhere, Michael from Spencer, be safe, my friends, Joseph from Marietta, John from Enrico, James from Melville, Wesson uh, from I don't know where. These people from I don't know where, actually, they've been part of the premium program for so long that we don't have your addresses on file, which is fine, it's just you know, acknowledging it. Uh, Alan from Montgomery, Mark from Centennial, Jeff from Chesterton, David from Plainsboro, Frank from Tunbridge, William, Russell from Jefferson Tun. Oh, that's a mouthful. Uh, Ralph from Great Falls, Clive from Burgess Hill, Scott from Bourbonnais, David from Mount Prospect, Matthew from Forked River, Matthias from Reinick, Dave from Saugerties, Michael from Robbins, Ken from Honolulu, Drew from San Diego, Dimitri from Moscow, John from Wake Forest, Chris from Chorleywood, Santiago from Palm City, Thomas from Sacramento, and Jim from San Jose. Oh, and Michael from Milwaukee. Thanks so much to all of you for your recent contributions. You rock. Again, if you want to learn more about that, macgeekup.com slash premium. Otherwise, uh, go to macgeekup.com slash reviews. Leave us a review. We would love to have your reviews on iTunes. They uh, make a huge, huge difference. So, that's what I got this week. You got anything to add to this, John, before we, before we make our, our, our regularly scheduled weekly departure?:
1: no, the only thing I got to add is some bulbs to my
0: Yes. Oh. that's right. All right well, let me know if support works for you, otherwise obviously we can you know, we can do it. But I think in order to add me to your Eero network now, you'd have to call support anyway, so probably better just to get the, uh, the job done. So yeah.
1: I'm probably going to take the other paths because
0: b Be, yeah if you have <laughs> bandwidth in your 2.4 gigahertz range where you're you can set up mm-hmm. like your like your guest router as uh um you know a, a, on a different channel that's not being interfered with by mm-hmm. your neighbors and not interfering with you I, I agree that's that's probably a better route to go so yeah yeah it's good all right um that's what we got thanks so much for everything folks thanks for uh visiting our sponsors of course their urls are uh max plushcare.com slash mgg and mintmobile.com slash mgg sponsors not ep- mentioned in this episode in fact you can find all of our sponsors at macgeekcub.com slash sponsors so just go check that out and that even includes some sponsors that aren't active but whose promos for you are still active so we try. The goal is to help. That's what we do. That's what we try to do. Alright, John, I got us into this one. So uh what do you got to say, my friend? What do I have to say? Hmm.
1: Don't get caught.
0: Maybe.